Coming up, the Brooklyn Nets once again for the second time this season fall to the Dallas Mavericks, this time on the road with some late game stumbles at the line from Kevin Durant. We break down some of the key sequences, the return of Ben Simmons to the floor, and ultimately what was one heck of an entertaining game even if Brooklyn came out on the losing end. You are Locked On Nets, your daily Brooklyn Nets podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Ah, uh, yes, friends, it is the Locked On Nets podcast right here on the Locked On Podcast Network. It's your team, the Brooklyn Nets, every single day. We thank you, of course, for making us your first listen free on all those great platforms and let you know today's episode is brought to you by Sweatblock. If you or someone you love is experiencing embarrassing sweat or odor, try Sweatblock. Save 20% with promo code Locked On at sweatblock.com. Also available on Amazon. And as you know, I am Adam Marbricks. Breaking down the New York football giants over on the one giant podcast, flying solo on our post game coverage. We welcome in everybody on the live YouTube post game session as well. Said it there at the top. We know the deal. The Brooklyn Nets um, come into a game, listen, that you could argue, and we're going to talk about it from a high level. Some of the key players here, and obviously break down the state of Ben Simmons' game as he got back out there onto the floor. But I don't know where the expectations levels were here for the Brooklyn Nets, just when we talk about where they've been coming into this game, obviously winning their last two, but we understand it's against the Wizards. It's against the Charlotte Hornets, not exactly uh, on the same level as the Dallas Mavericks. And if we rewind this back, as it was a 96-94 final score in Dallas where the Nets fell, if we wound this back to the start of the season, even when you had Kyrie Irving out there on the floor, remember we had said with the Pelicans, the Raptors, the Grizzlies, the Bucks, the Mavericks, the first time around at home, uh, and then leading into those Pacers matchups, those were all playoff teams from the year prior, and the Brooklyn Nets were only able to get one win out of those early season games over Toronto. You split that back-to-back with the Pacers, and then obviously you lose to Chicago before rattling off those couple of wins. That being the case, though, I mean, just at a high level, this was one heck of a game, and Doug and I have talked about this before on the podcast, especially coming into this season, just wanting to be able to take a little bit of that step back and say, what did we get to watch? You got to watch a real battle through four quarters. Remember, the Brooklyn Nets were up late in this fourth quarter. Sorry, not late in the fourth quarter, in this fourth quarter before Luka and the Mavericks went on a bit of a run themselves. They were there with just 232 remaining down 10 before Royce O'Neal hits that first triple in the corner. It's followed up by Joe Harris hitting a triple in the corner, an area of the Brooklyn Nets that in this game was not strong and has not been strong all season. But they found a way. They found a way to manufacture some successes, found a way to get themselves in a position to have a few fouls, get Dallas and Luka at the line. And ultimately, uh, on a final inbounds play, Kevin Durant fouled in the act, an absolutely terrible decision from the Dallas Mavericks defense, puts Kevin Durant on the line, 62 consecutive made free throws going back to last season. Uh, That comes to end on shot number two. He misses the third intentionally. 
And Royce O'Neal sweeps in and gets it. I'm not going to knock him in that sequence. He goes towards the basket, but there's multiple defenders there. He's, he's swallowed up. You can see maybe there's a chance to drop it off to Claxton there on the, uh, on the left-hand side and see if he can go up and attack at the basket. But you're talking about under six seconds left. It's all happening quickly. Tries to get it out. It gets scooped up. Uh, by Dallas, and that's the way that this one ends. But uh, listen, there, there's plenty of things to critique about this game. But at a high, high level, with everything that's gone on for this team over <laughs> now what ends up being the first 11 games of their season, it's hard not to look at this, dial it back to when they played them on their home court when they had Kyrie Irving and went to overtime and lost 129-126, and not just say, not to put lipstick on it, but it was a battle. It was a drag-out game. I, I will say, too, again, high-level takeaways from this game. It was clunky there at the back in the third quarter, going to the fourth quarter. Referees got heavily involved here. There was chippiness to their to this game. Uh, Kevin Durant gets into it. He picks up a technical foul. You probably don't want to see him get that there in that spot. Um, but there were a lot of sequences here where there was a lot of physicality. I thought early in this one, Luca to the line multiple times. We'll talk about what the Nets and Jacques Vaughn tried to do defensively with him. Saw some, <laughs> I thought, comical statements around, you know, Brooklyn not doing a good enough job shutting down Luka. Nobody shuts down Luka. Nobody shuts down the best players in the league today. So you're really just trying to stem the tide there. Um, there this was a, a difficult game because by the end of it, you want to win it because there's a chance to get there. But when you're down 10 with 232, I wonder, at least from my perspective, if there's a little bit of solace just in the fact that you were actually able to build a rally there, that you were able to be back in a spot where you could have pushed it to overtime, and then you're playing five minutes of basketball to see what could happen next there. Um, Kevin Durant's game, obviously, you saw kind of, I think, the both and here. We said it over these last two matchups, uh, team playing better moving the ball, extra feeds, and you still end up with a handful of times, certain segments of this game where it breaks down into ISO ball and you're left kind of waiting for Kevin Durant to do his thing. Now, as Doug would say, that's not always, that's not a bad thing. It's only a problem when the ISO ends up converting into stagnation. You still have to do enough off the ball. You still have to give enough opportunities. Kevin Durant plays 39 minutes, so we know he's going to be playing big minutes. Uh, obviously, with the lack of player availability. And we'll talk about a key injury that I think came in, came into a big factor here in this one, but 26 points on 10 to 20 from shooting five to seven at the line. Obviously the second of those two misses uh, was intentional. Only three attempts from the outside, gave you four assists, four rebounds, two steals, a block, and really mitigated some of those turnovers that we talked about. I found that interesting too. In the three games now over the course of Kyrie Irving's suspension, and, and neither of these things need to be related, but Kevin Durant seems to be doing a better job by and large protecting the basketball, making smarter, crisper passes um, over the course of these games. And that matters. When you're the lone superstar on the team, you got to play a pretty much flawless game. And as you come down to the wire here and you miss a key free throw, that can be the margin of wins and losses for the Brooklyn Nets. They did go out as well with the same starting lineup that they've used for these last couple of games, Durant, O'Neal, Claxton, Harris, and then Edmund Sumner. Overall, fine with it. Um, Sumner had a really quiet game, picked up some fouls steadily throughout this one, but the starting lineup makes sense to me. It made sense. I suggested this or pondered on how they would bring Ben Simmons into the fold here coming back. He was capped at around 20 minutes 
um, ended up playing 16, and that's probably in large part due to the closing sequences and the the offensive liability there around free throw shooting. Um, but I, I think that you start to see a little bit of sense of this. It's actually a shame, as we'll talk about in a second, the injury to Yuta Watanabe kind of breaks this up a, up a little bit here and makes it hard for the Nets to and Jacques Vaughn to maybe approach this game with a lot of length from Dallas the way that they ideally would want to. So we'll get that into that here in a second. Obviously, if you're watching over on YouTube live for the post-game coverage, we'll stick around for a few minutes after. This was a late one, a 9.45 tip-off. So we want to make sure we came in and did it for the people, but also give me a chance to maybe uh, get a little bit of rest here as well. Before we do that, got to tell you about our friends over at Sweatblock. Oh, boy. They had a customer review up, actually. Rebecca would watch her teenage daughter suffer through low self-esteem caused by embarrassing sweat. Rebecca got a text after her teen's first use of sweat block. I'm not sweating anymore. And they were both uh, just joyous and crying in tears with one another. And, and listen, I remember when I was younger, the first time uh, that I found out that, hey, I was starting to really emit some odors as a young teenager. So you're sweating profusely, sometimes whether whether it was going to like the first school dance or after gym class and you want to be able to get back to early gym class, you got to go back to your classes. You want to be sitting there and sweat, sitting there stinking. Nobody wants to be the smelly kid. That's why you go ahead and you get sweat block because if you or someone you love is experiencing embarrassing sweat or odor, you got to have them try sweat block. You can save 20% with promo code locked on at sweatblock.com and also available on Amazon. My goodness, friends. We turn our attention then to what was a key talking point here in this one, obviously. The return of Ben Simmons uh, from injury, uh, as we know, gets himself uh, on on a minute's count. They said they're going to put him around 20 minutes, seeing how it went. If we're just going to compartmentalize things as far as how this game looked and how it unfolded, the two key things were, one, Ben Simmons coming back off of injury and both ends of the floor looking a little bit disjointed. I like that they tried to keep him separate from Nicholas Claxton and not disrupt what his rhythm was. But then the other big piece was the Yuta Watanabe injury. And I'm not trying to fast forward um, this script to Yuta Watanabe and over elevate who he is as a player. However, in a game like this, when you're talking about taking on the Dallas Mavericks and you look over and understand that they're going to be able to, uh, McGee didn't really play in this one at all. Um, but when you're talking about having Kleber and you're talking about having Powell and you're talking about having Wood and Luka is already a bigger player playing at that point guard position there for you, Yuta Watanabe is effectively the guy that has enough size on the defensive end and maybe most importantly, as we go inside the overall numbers from this game, you got to remember that this is a team that was only shooting, I think, at one point seven of 25 from beyond the arc for the Brooklyn Nets. They ended up finishing this one shooting 12 of 20. Oh, no, sorry. Shooting 10 of 29 uh, from beyond the arc. So you needed people that are going to be able to take down those shots. Udo has not been taking a high volume of three point looks, but he had been knocking them down at a very nice clip. And there was so many things, I think, inside of this game that messed with the script that could have been successful for the Brooklyn Nets. So the Yuta Watanabe injury obviously hurts you, but then it gets compounded by a couple of different things. One, you're, you're elevating expectations for Royce O'Neal, who by and large I thought had, because we talked about we're going to have a bonus episode uh, coming up here, uh, what will be on Wednesday, maybe we'll even release it a little bit sooner on YouTube with Matt Brooks, 
you know, he hasn't been the best defensively, Royce O'Neal. And you actually saw it in a key sequence late in this fourth quarter where Nicholas Claxton is doing the work against Luka. He's keeping him in front of him. He's frustrating him. He's forcing the ball out of his hands. And as that ball gets released from him, uh, it's going to actually end up being Royce O'Neal surging out towards the perimeter, and Luca is on the ball at that point after a switch, and he just blows right past him, drops it off to the corner, knockdown triple. So Royce has been a little bit slow on some of those key matchups just in terms of a footwork standpoint staying in front of him. So we had a good conversation with Brooks about that. But overall, Royce has certainly this, – this has – all of the remnants of a Patty Mills early last season when so much more was being asked of a player than you initially thought would be when he joined the team. But between Joe Harris coming back and getting his legs underneath him, now Seth Curry coming back and getting his legs underneath him, no no Kyrie Irving available, no Ben Simmons available, right? All of a sudden, and then Yuta goes out in a matchup like this, Royce O'Neal effectively becomes, you know, your second most impactful size player on the defensive end after Nicholas Claxton and the work that Kevin Durant's trying to do. It, it was interesting to see him try to put in that effort and that energy. But I mentioned Seth Curry coming back. He's not there yet, right? He's still trying to find his rhythm. And you have Jacques Vaughn in the Nets trying to find a way to start to get him some of these minutes to get his legs back underneath him. But now Seth Curry, 13 minutes, 0 of 3, um, from the field, O of one from beyond the arc, so didn't even try much there. And you could see usually when the sh- when the shots are coming up front rim, it's an indication that the legs just aren't underneath you yet. And you can see right now he has played 13, 15, and 18 minutes, walking it back to when he first made his season debut in that loss against the Pacers. And in those games, O of three, one of four. 0 of 5 from the field, and he is a collective one of eight from beyond the arc. So it's just not there yet. So you're losing perimeter shooting there. Uh, Joe Harris, who has struggled but knocked down a really important three-pointer in this game late, as we highlighted, to get the Nets back into this right on the heels of a Royce O'Neal triple. But again, 6-10, 2-5 from beyond the arc, 14 points. I think Joe Harris, we always say plus-minus only matters if it makes our case. Well, Joe Harris was a plus-13 in this game. Best plus minus of anybody on the team, including the starting lineup. Nobody coming off the bench um, had a positive net rating there outside of a neutral for, oh, well, that's going to be Dayron Sharp, so that doesn't count because he was just in there for rebounds on that miss from Kevin Durant at the end of the game. Um, It was a really, I I said this about Joe Harris. I was saying this, and we're going to talk about Cam Thomas here in a second as well, obviously. Um, but I was saying this about Joe Harris, that whatever, whatever areas of his game that he's still evolving and you know still trying to refine to some extent, we've certainly seen him be capable of making the key adjustments, right? Getting at the rim more, trying to facilitate more, trying to do all the other little things that are necessary. He even got himself in front of Luca at one point and frustrated Luca to where even though we know Luca can complain at times, got him to the place where he was looking over at the referee saying, hey, you know, he's, he's, he's up on me. Maybe there's fouls in there. As I said, chippy game here. But Joe Harris has shown just enough physicality, just enough size on the defensive end to be disruptive, to be someone that is not a liability on that end of the floor. And then on the offensive end, he's really mixed it up here. Had four assists in this game, had five rebounds in this game, came up with a steal, right? So there's a lot of things to like about what Joe has brought to the table. And also you're playing in razor thin margins because he's still getting himself ramped up here. Plays 33 minutes. It looks like he's fully back. Right. And again, two of five from beyond the arc, but you haven't had the same level of perimeter shooters. 
Yuta goes down. That's one more guy taken off the table. We know that you can't rely on Seth Curry right now. And then you even go inside of it. And we said Patty Mills hadn't looked good early in the season. He's still been getting his run, but down to just eight minutes. And this one misses his couple of attempts from the outside. And this is the exact game that you can't have a guy like Patty out there. He's too small. Every matchup is going to be brutal. And this is across the board for any of these situations for the Brooklyn Nets. But just a really difficult assignment in this one after you you think about where the roster is coming in and then one key injury, all of a sudden you're having a real issue. And that injury um, came on a fluky play, a little bit of a jumble in and around the paint. But you had, um, I believe it was uh, Hardaway Jr. go down, slipping, doing a, a full split in the paint. You had Lucas slip getting frustrated with it's the home. It's the home facility there, but just not cleaning up some of those wet spots on the floor waiting bated breath. Sometimes when we think about Kevin Durant and the injuries for the Brooklyn Nets overall for a a net to go down in that circumstance. Uh, But ultimately the Nets get through this one and it just felt like, again, you don't quite have that perimeter shooting value there for you. And you're playing in razor razor thin margins here. And then you add into, as we'll talk about just briefly here, because then I want to talk about Cam Thomas, and that is one Ben Simmons. So again, he's just coming back. It's the knee soreness. So we're not going to sit here and harp on him too much, um, just for the sense that uh, I know it's hard to say, but getting his legs underneath him, right? Comes back after missing so much basketball, doesn't look fully there, trying to figure himself out, out, out offensively, can't get the job done. This game, 16 minutes, one of three. Had the layoff pass that he threw down from Kevin Durant. I jokingly said, nobody can wait patiently while Kevin Durant draws multiple defenders for a layoff pass for an easy flush like Ben Simmons. Um, two rebounds, two assists, a steal in there as well. Picked up three for you know three fouls in just 16 minutes, though. So even if he was fully healthy, what, was he going to be able to stay in the game for the entirety of it? And you saw him pick up another one of those screen fouls at the top of the key. And that, to me, has less to do with physicality or less to do with comfortability. That's just fundamentals, right? Those are mental breakdowns, mental lapses, not being in position. We've mentioned it about Nicholas Claxton, and that's an area that he needs to continue to work and improve on. But Ben Simmons, at this point, has to, has to be able to do something with consistency on the offensive end of the floor. And we know it's not going to be shooting, but then it has to be getting aggressive going at the rim, or it has to be being a ball handler, facilitator, working that screen game. And in this game, Vaughn specifically used Edmund Sumner at times. They were keeping the ball out of his hands. They were using Ben as the five and trying to surround him with enough shooters. Again, the injury to Yuta Watanabe gives me a little bit of frustration just because you'd like to have seen how that could have developed because you can start to flex and have enough size um, to keep Claxton out of there, keep Kevin Durant out of there, and then slowly flex, flex them back in. But... Um, ultimately it was not a, it was not a solid small sample size return for Ben Simmons to the floor. And that's only going to lead to more speculation around what happens with him going forward here. Seems like offensively, it's just an aversion to being fully committed to what you need to do on that offensive end. Again, I want to be patient, but this is the kind of season, the kind of start that makes it hard to give these guys that type of latitude. Back here in a second to talk about Cam Thomas, who has obviously emerged as a player, head-scratching why he wasn't out there sooner. We talk about his game in totality on both ends of the floor, the mostly positive, the some slightly negative, and the key shot that he knocked down to give the Brooklyn Nets a chance to force this one to overtime. 
Okay, so I, I did want to make sure that we spent some time here on Cam Thomas. Obviously, we already highlighted those last two games for him, um, how impressive it was, what he's shown capable of being able to do, something that we were a little bit confused by. Start of the season, as Doug and I said, in the offseason as well, going back to the summer league. Yes, he looks explosive and dynamic offensively, but at the time, head coach Steve Nash was saying we need him to show the all-around game. And, and we agreed with that, even beyond Steve Nash, just the idea, hey, if you can't do the other things, then it's going to be really hard for us to keep you out there. Now, there's a couple of fat, there's a couple of parts to this that I think are, are worth noting inside of Cam's game. So first and foremost is just that he comes in off the bench, plays 30 minutes in this one, 5 of 13 from the field, 2 of 4 from beyond the arc. That's been a key area of focus that he needed to improve on from last year to this year. Got to the line, something we know he can do, knocked down seven of those nine attempts, gave you 19 points, gave you two assists. Um, I'm going to pause as we get to the steals because key sequence where after not having success on the offensive end he comes flashing through right into the passing lane grabs a steal and resets the clock here for the Brooklyn Nets and having a chance to get back into this one you had offensively late game sequences where Kevin Durant tried to knock down from the perimeter didn't go I think think i think it's joe harris that gets the long rebound gets it out to cam thomas he works takes on the defender gives himself space knocks down the dagger triple that again keeps the brooklyn nets with an opportunity now he does have in the last two possessions and this is this is i think the totality of his game so overall i like what i saw from him um only the two assists so again if you're going to play 30 minutes and especially in a game when Ben Simmons is not going to be having much functionality here and you need more facilitators on this team. And it is something, just to touch back on Royce O'Neal briefly here, eight assists in this game, right? So he took that on very early. I think over the first first 16 to 20 points, Royce O'Neal was directly attached to all but two of those buckets, whether making them himself or putting others in position and working as an assist man to set everybody else up. So, you know, when you look at the box score overall, eight for O'Neal, four for Durant, uh, four for Harris. That's it. The next ones after that are going to be Ben Simmons and Cam Thomas with two. And, and this is the, the one spot that we're talking about. The critique of Cam Thomas is you got to do a better job in getting your shooters and getting teammates into positions. That's the next phase of this. Now, specifically inside of this game, you needed exactly what he did for you penetration, driving the lane, getting good looks, taking on the challenge, right? Not afraid to pull the trigger. So you like everything about what Cam Thomas is doing. And it does further scratch the head of why didn't he have a defined role? Why Patty Mills starting over top of him to start this year? More than anything, and we did speculate on this, is it a little bit of a contract for past service for Patty Mills? We ground you into, into dust last season out of necessity. So we reward you with this contract. And we also reward you by giving you 15 to 20 minutes to start the season before ultimately turning the page to Cam Thomas. There's a one-to-one correlation, though. Steve Nash gets fired the very next game. And obviously, it's in conjunction with the suspension for Kyrie Irving. But the very next game, Cam Thomas is playing and playing significant minutes, right? So all these things do add up um, to suggest that Cam has worked on it. He had expressed frustration about not getting an opportunity. Now he has it. And the most important piece of his game that I've seen the improvement in is the patience. Now, there are a couple of times, especially when he lost track of the shot clock and got uh, shot clock violations. One of them, I think, is directly on him. The other one 
bit of a disjointed possession. Joe Harris has it. He works through the lane, gets into Cam's hands. He has under four seconds at that point. Still, though, especially if you are an offensive player, an offensive first player, you got to just know that. So there's those two sequences there. And then overall, though, the thing that for the most part I've liked with him is that he's playing under control. As the pace of the game quickens, as the the moment gets more critical, he is still playing calm. He's still playing smart basketball. And then even last year, all those big moments, all the big performances that he had through that month where he was playing 20 to 30 minutes a game, you saw it, but you saw the mixed bag of everything that comes with a rookie. This year, and especially now more than ever, with the absence of Kyrie, he needs to showcase that he can be relied upon. And he did. By and large, he is passing the test with flying colors these last three games. And if we just zero in on him here for a second, because I think it is worth mentioning how how well he's performed, you are now talking about a player that across these last three games, finally getting a chance, 32-29 in 30 minutes, going back to that Washington game. Nets have obviously been 2-1 and one over the course of it. He shot 45 and now, listen, let's be fair, 6 of 13, 5 of 11, 5 of 13. Worst shooting performance came tonight when you're pressing a little bit, when, again, blowout game against Washington, uh, a tight game against Charlotte, though, so you played well in that. Not taking a lot of perimeter looks, but over these three games is knocking down 5 out of 10, so 50% from beyond the arc, and he's done that each and every game. So he's been consistent there as well, and obviously he's doing it at the line. 17, 21, and 19 points, respectively. The only thing we don't like is that he's gone from six to four to two assists, right? That's the only difference here. And again, without having certain players with some injuries and losing a guy like Yuta tonight, it's not surprising that he ends up leaning more just into the offensive game, solely focused on himself and producing because it's out of necessity at that point. That being the case, um, overall, again, you always want to win the game. And when Kevin Durant gets fouled late, you just feel like, yeah, go to the free throw line, knock down three free throws. We'll go to overtime. And at that point, listen, it's a coin flip. We saw the way it worked out earlier in the season. They're on the road. There's probably going to be a fatigue factor there for the guys that have contributed, especially Royce and Kevin and Cam Thomas. But, hey, you'll take your chances. You come up short in that regard. But I do think that the team is playing with urgency. They're playing with focus. They're playing with drive. Like there does seem to be a little bit of a shift here. And we even said early in the season, though, the defense has not been good enough by and large. And there were a lot of bad sequences in this game. hundred percent. There's no denying that they tried to throw a lot of different players at Luca throughout this one. I know you're seeing comments from Edmund Sumner. Why is he on him? Because you're going to pick up fouls no matter what. And you want to spread them out across the board. You want to give them different looks. And again, I thought late game sequences, the nets were far better on Luca than not, but teammates supporting cast Finney Smith, other guys stepped up and knocked down big shots for Dallas in this one too. And, and that's what it comes down to supporting cast is going to step up on those key moments. Still too many instances where the Brooklyn nets seem to lag down. They seem to lose the urgency. They just seem to lose some of the, the, the real principles specifically on the offensive end, the real principles of ball movement, finding consistency, finding open shooters. The more that they did that was the more that it produced opportunities, and you have to keep going back to that well as many times as possible. 7 of 25 for the game, closed out on a 3 for 3 from beyond the arc. If the shots are good, it's not the result of whether or not it went through. It's the process that got to that look. Late, Harris, Thomas, O'Neal, they knock them down. They give them a chance. Let's come up short. That's the bottom line. 
Second part to this as we close out and turn our attention over to the live YouTube session where we appreciate everyone staying up extra late on a Monday night is that, as I said, we're going to have Matt Brooks. That's going to be the next episode up. We talk about Kyrie. We talk about the Ime Adoka situation and what could be happening behind the scenes now as far as that originally being thought as an imminent and foregone conclusion hire. Uh, that could be coming back here a little bit. What's going to happen for this team between now and the potential trade deadline? Where is Kevin Durant's head at? And what are some of the things that we like about some of the pieces on this roster? That's all coming up next. And then we'll come right back in with what is going to be the uh, Brooklyn Nets next matchup Wednesday night. And I'll remember who they're going to play because that's definitely going to be on my mind here. We'll get that up in a second as we fly by nightly. Doug's going to be back in uh, starting next week as well. So we'll have the gruesome two some back. Oh, it's the Knicks. I knew there was something fun coming up. A rivalry matchup, the city matchup, the New York Knicks at 7.30 on Wednesday. So obviously we'll be in for the post game on that as well. And we have another great guest lined up for the end of the week to give a little bit of a Nets and global NBA perspective as well. That being the case, my friends, we appreciate, as always, we say everyone that got it on the live YouTube stayed up late with us. You get it here on YouTube. You get it free on the podcast feeds. You, you like, you review, you subscribe. We'll probably touch on this game a little bit more as well as the Knicks game as we get to the end of the week because depending on win or lose, we're now going to have this four and five game sample size against some quality teams, against some of the clunkers in the league. And it's going to tell you a little bit around where this team stands uh, going forward with or without Kyrie Irving. So like, subscribe, be a part of that journey with us, of course. And as we always say, with no Doug Norrie here, there is no quote, shorter saying, no quote, shorter saying, excuse me, that I miss my friend. And I can't wait for him to get back here so we can keep talking all things Brooklyn Nets basketball. All right, that officially ends.